You know, last week we talked about gathering in worship. We're talking about Three to Thrive. It's a series we're going through. Gather in worship, grow in groups, go in service. Let me say it again. Gather in, gather in what? <laughs> gather in worship. It's right there, guys. Gather, no, actually. Gather in worship, grow in groups, go in service. Gather, grow, go. I think it's a necessity for the church to do these three things. And we call it the three to thrive because it's a discipleship process. Today, I want to specifically focus on growing in groups. Uh, this is defined as small groups. Not everybody understands what a small group is, and I'm going to explain that as we go. It's important for us to slow down from other series and focus on these in-depth issues within the church, the logistics of the church, and what we do and why we do it. Because I believe everything, no, I know everything we do as a church needs to be biblically uh, have a biblical foundation to it. And that's why we study together as a church why we do what we do. We don't just do things. We do things because it's biblically based. I once heard a pastor describe small groups as cells of the body of Christ. All right, you, If you don't have healthy cells in your body, you're not going to be a healthy person. And so if a church doesn't have healthy cells, then it's not going to be a healthy church. And what that means is those cells are represented by small groups, literally like 10 to 12 different people gathering together. And some churches don't practice this and because they just don't feel comfortable with it. When I was a kid growing up, that was unheard of to have small groups within the church. And then as I got into my 20s and my 30s, this, this became more uh, profound in churches, more recognized, more practiced. And for me, where I was in Tennessee, the church was like, we ain't ever going to do something like that. That's unbiblical. But it was the complete opposite of what they were teaching. It was very, very important for a church to have small groups. Very biblical. And I want to tell you why it is so biblical. It's not just a fad. It's not just a popular thing that churches are doing. It's because it's in God's word. And that's, we don't do anything unless it's found in God's word. Um, small groups, it's, it's, the concept is nothing new. It's been around for thousands of years. For a matter of fact, if you look in the book of, of Exodus chapter 18, uh, Moses gives us the first example of what small groups are. And, and so Moses just delivers the children of Israel out of bondage. And here they are, victorious. And there's thousands of them traveling and living life together. But all of them are leaning on Moses for every issue that they're dealing with. And they'd line up from morning till night. Moses, 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 we have this issue. We have this issue. It could, be a, it could be an issue within the home. It could be a marital issue. It might be just an issue with the neighbor. So he's acting like a lawyer. He's acting like a judge. He's acting like a pastor. He's acting like a, a glorified father, if you would, over the, the children of Israel. And, and so Jethro shows up. Who's Jethro? He's from West Virginia. And he's the, he's the father-in-law. He just makes me think he's from West Virginia, but he obviously is not because that name is just a good West Virginia name. And Jethro says, Moses, you can't keep on doing this. You're, you are going to burn out. This is not healthy. This doesn't make sense. Moses is like, well, who's going to do it? And so Jethro gives him some wisdom. You ever done something because that's all you know to do? And you've done it over and over again. And it's actually a very difficult thing to do. Y'all with me? Yep. If you don't raise your hand right now, that means you've got it all together. And I doubt that. 
And then somebody comes along and says, let me give you some wisdom. You do this, this way, and it'll be a lot easier. I was working in my yard, I think it was last week, and um, all the weird people show up at my house for no reason. I don't invite them, they just show up. All the weird, strange things also happen at my house. Working in the yard, doing some spring cleaning, edging the flower bed, putting the mulch in, guy pulls up, and I'm, I'm thinking to myself, what do you want? Because it's probably not something that I want to talk about, or maybe it's something I don't have, like money. So he says, hey, can I ask you a question? I said, sure. He goes, do you have any wisdom when it comes to tires? I said, what? He goes, I got a tire stem that's leaking, and I need to get it fixed. I said, well, there's a tire store literally a half mile that way. He goes, I've already been there. He said, they want $28. And then I'm thinking, okay, you want money from me to pay for your tire stem. I said, well, there's another one. It's a little smaller. It's probably cheaper. He goes, I checked on them too, $16. I said, well, what's the problem? He goes, well, I only got $6. And I'm like, okay, I want to finish my yard. So I better just give this guy $10 so I can finish my yard. He said, I'll help you finish your yard. I can work for you. I said, why don't you do this? I have this huge... Uh, garbage can. Let me show you this massive garbage can that I'm filling up with dirt and then I'm going to dump it around that tree right there, right? Can you drag it over there and dump it while I go grab you 10 bucks? He said, sure. So I come outside. He's struggling. I said, it's heavy, isn't it? He said, yeah. I said, I do this every year, every year for 14 years. He goes, you drag, you fill a trash can full of dirt and mulch and you drag it across the yard and dump it? I said, yeah. Every year. He goes, why do you do that? I said, because this is how I clean up my flower bed. He goes, no, why you drag it? Why don't you just get a dolly and roll it? I said, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> he said, do you have a dolly? I said, I've had a dolly for 14 years in my garage. And at that moment, I realized the $10 was worth the word of wisdom. So I gave him the $10. I went in the garage and I got my dolly and I rolled that trash can for the rest of the day with a dolly instead of dragging it across the yard. I believe there was this profound moment in Moses' life when Jethro said, why are you doing this the way you're doing it? You need to break them up in groups of 10, 50, 100, and even 1,000 and have a group leader over them. So the concept of small groups begins. And so Moses said, that's a great idea. And what's going to happen, and we find out in Exodus chapter 18, verse 37, it worked because Moses is now relieved. He's not burning out. The people are satisfied. Everybody's happy. And the concept of small groups begins. And so, so, thank you. Thank you, Mark. So what happens then is this. This is very interesting. Very interesting. When he makes the decision to have small groups... Everything changes for the whole group that gathered. They're all relieved. Let me say this. We as a church have to lean on one another. And the pastor has to learn to cultivate the concept of leaders and groups to relieve, to relieve each other. And this is what I mean, specifically for the pastor in my position. If we grow as a church, we're running, you know, between 55, 65, sometimes even 75. And I don't cultivate leaders 
to run small groups, and the pastor is going to have to run to the hospital every time somebody is in the hospital, every time somebody needs help moving, every time somebody needs help uh, with their family because they had a death in their family, and they're, we're, we're trying to come together and, 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 and get some dinners and lunches together for that family to support them, encourage them. Eventually, eventually the pastor is going to burn out. I've had the privilege to be a part of large churches for a number of years, and I've learned very quickly, you can't just lean on the pastoral staff. You have to lean on the people. You have to cultivate leadership. You have to come together as small groups so we support one another. And so this concept begins, but we see it continues in the New Testament as well. Now, this is important. There's the concept, the structure in the Old Testament, but the biblical logistics of small group is in the New Testament, and it happens in the book of Acts. Now, this is, this is um, important for the church because this is the beginning of the New Testament church. In Acts chapter 1, in Acts chapter 1, uh, the, the apostles gather together, the, the, the disciples, and they see the ascension of Jesus into heaven. And before that takes place, Jesus gives them the Great Commission. The church is about to launch, and it's going to be amazing in chapter 2. And so he challenges them to hold to the doctrine, to teach others also. And then in chapter 2, we see them gather together, and they replace Judas because Judas committed suicide. He's no longer uh, a part of the disciples. He made a horrible decision. And so they replaced Judas, and then there's a gathering of 120 people. They call this the beginning of the church. And God shows up through the Holy Spirit, and everything changes. It's amazing. Because at this moment, Peter steps out with a message that's going to change Jerusalem forever. The message of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the redemption and he steps out and preaches with authority, and people start getting saved. I'm talking about revival breaks out, and we see 3,000 people come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. According to scholars, from chapter 2 to chapter 24, thousands and thousands and thousands of people are getting saved to the extent of maybe 100,000 by chapter 24. You say, that's impossible. No, all things are possible with God. This is the beginning of the New Testament church. This is the way God designed it to be. And this is how it happened. And so you have all these people. Imagine this. One out of two were attending church. That's half of Jerusalem are going to church. Now, how did they do that? The Bible tells us in Acts chapter 2 that they were going uh, to the temple and the temple courts. The temple courts allowed thousands, to people, uh, thousands of people to gather. And they're focusing specifically on the doctrine of Jesus Christ. This is the large group gathering. This is gathering in worship like we studied last week. And then they started breaking off into small groups. The, 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 the small group gathering were specifically small groups of fellowship, house to house. And so you had the large group in the courts and the small groups that are fellowshipping. So we have worship and we have fellowship. And don't get lost in the word fellowship. I'll explain it in just a moment. And so things started happening because the church 
just turn the world upside down. And boy, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, everybody's stressed. They're worried because the doctrine of Jesus Christ is being preached. People are shifting gears. Judaism is now something that's being pushed aside. And Christianity is now entered in. And the New Testament church begins. All right. Now what? Well, according to Acts chapter 2, we see a clear example of what small groups look like. Now, if you're not familiar with a small group, if you've never been a part of one, let me introduce you to this world. You're going to love it. You just got to give it a chance. Let's read this account in Acts chapter 2 and verse 41. Then they that gladly received his words were baptized. Who are they? These are people that are hearing the preaching. Peter calls them out. I mean, he's preaching heavy and hard. He literally, if you look at chapter 4, he says, you guys are the ones that crucified Jesus. You let Barabbas go. The blood of Jesus is on your hands. They were so convicted in chapter 2, they said, what do we do? Literally, they said, what do we do? Peter says, you need to repent. Turn from your direction, go his direction. I'm paraphrasing. Give your life to Jesus Christ. And they did. And then they got baptized. And then they were added to church. And then we see the explosion of the church. So that's what's taking place in verse 41. And the same day, there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Wow, what a revival. Verse 42. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Verse 46. And they continually daily, this is every single day they're coming together with one accord in the temple, often it said temple courts, in the breaking of bread from house to house, and then they were eating together, and the Bible goes on further to say in verse 47, they, and in verse 46 there's this singleness of heart, there's unity there in verse 47, they're praising God, they're even worshiping in small groups, and, and having favor with all the people, and they're just, there's this, this beautiful unity. And the Lord added to the church every single day. Now that's how it all began. And here we are in the modern church today, continuing the same exact way. According to verse 46, there was a large group gathering, continuing daily in one accord in the temple. And then there were small group gatherings, gathering from house to house. Here's the importance of this. We gather together for worship in a large group setting. But we grow. We grow together in these small group gatherings from 5 to 10 to 12. Growth is so important when it comes to the church. The biblical reason that we grow is, is two. There's two biblical reasons according to Acts chapter 2. We grow because there's spiritual and relational growth taking place. We as individuals grow because there's spiritual growth and there's relational growth happening. I think people for years and years in the church thought it was not important to have relationships with others in the church. At one period of time when I was a young youth pastor, I had a pastor that was old school, different way of thinking when it came to the church. He said, never invite anybody over to your house. It shows favoritism. There's no sense of having Bible studies in your home because that also shows favoritism. There's a lot of things he brought to my attention, according to him, that showed favoritism. But really, in reality, it's called relationships. It was important. 
Because if you're not careful, you're going to be in the shadows as a pastor all by yourself. And just like certain church members, you can burn out, you can get discouraged, and you can feel like you're the only one in the ministry. Y'all following me? That is not biblical. What is biblical is growing together as a church in large group worship and in small group gatherings. So here's, here's the first one. We, we gather together in small groups for two specific reasons. We grow as small groups in two specific ways. Spiritually growing and relationally growing. According to verse 42, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in breaking of bread and in prayer. This is spiritually growing. How did they do it? Through studying. According to this verse, what were they studying? The apostles' doctrine. Its root meaning is one who is sent, sent out by God, his son, Jesus. Jesus literally handpicked the apostles and, 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 and they went out and continued to teach the doctrine of Jesus. Now, watch this. The New Testament did not exist at this time. It was being written. So they were teaching the Old Testament, and they were continuing in the teachings of Jesus Christ. Love your neighbor as yourself. Do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. And so this was being taught to parents and to fathers and to mothers. And this is the apostles' doctrine. And so what are they learning in these small groups from house to house? The apostles' doctrine, the same thing we teach today. We don't just focus on the Old Testament. We focus on the New Testament. We specifically focus on the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And we focus on the teachings of Jesus Christ. It is vitally important when small groups get together that they dig deep in God's Word. That develops growth, spiritual growth. It's different than this large group gathering. Why is it different? Because you're going to get into different books of the Bible and you're going to spend six to eight weeks on that particular book of the Bible. We just got done with our life group studying prayer. And you're going to have opportunity to open discussion. You're going to interact with one another. That's what's so beautiful about a small group because your Bible study is uniquely different than a large group gathering. And so when you gather together, you realize just in like in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15, Paul said to Timothy, the young preacher, he said, listen, you need to study the show thyself approved unto God, a workman that, uh, that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And that's what we're doing as small groups. We're, 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 we're learning and growing and studying together doctrine. And we're being very aware of false doctrine, false truth that, that, that the devil presents and say, hey, we are never going this direction. These are things that we need to be aware of and alarmed at, digging deep in God's word. Jesus did this with his disciples. He had a small group. He said, no, he didn't. Yes, it's called the disciples. And he had 12 of them and he invested in them and they studied together. One of the disciples said, how do we pray? And he said, well, let me teach you. Let's talk about it. And they, they would dig deep. And they would learn and grow from one another. That's what a small group does. It is spiritually growing through studying and through fellowship. The very next part of this verse says, and in fellowship. Now, let me make this very clear. Fellowship doesn't mean you're just getting together at a house, uh, you know, grabbing some nachos and hanging out and fellowship and talking about sports and talking about, you know, you know just random things. Fellowship is talking about coming together and doing life together. It is important to learn to do life together. Some people 
have made it a point in their life they don't want to do life with anybody else. They're so secluded. They're so, they're, they, they, and I don't know if it's pride or what, but they find themselves pulling back and they say, I just don't, I'm an introvert. I can't do this, but you need to learn to do this. It's important to do this. James chapter 5 and verse 16 says, Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another. Why? Because that is what the church does. And so when we gather together in fellowship, we are leaning on one another. We're investing in one another. Proverbs chapter 27 says, It's iron that sharpeneth iron. How are you going to sharpen one another if you're not with one another? When you get in small groups, you're going to lean over to your friend and say, listen, can I talk to you for a little bit before we go? I'm just really going some thing, through some things. Yeah. You're going to open up about your marriage and your dating. and You're going to open up about your struggles and there's accountability. That's what small groups do. And that's what the disciples did. And I'm telling you, it is vitally important for us to understand that this concept of small groups is biblical and it is a necessity. It is a necessity if we want to spiritually grow. And you're growing through that study. You're growing through that fellowship. The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 8, finally, be all of one mind, having compassion one for another. Love as brethren. Be pitiful and, and, and courteous to one another. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. And as a small group, that fellowship cultivates those actions. Now, if you've been a part of a small group at some point in your life, would you raise your hand? Real high. All right. Everything I just said, you know is true because you've, you've experienced it in some shape, form, or fashion. But the Bible doesn't stop there when it talks about spiritually growing. It says, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, in fellowship, and the breaking of bread. Now, the breaking of bread is in reference to communion. We have not done that as a small group. I'm not against it. Some small groups actually have communion together. It's a time of remembrance. It's important for a small group to spiritually grow together through remembering what the Lord Jesus Christ did for them. It's, it's a time where you step back and you, you evaluate yourself and say, where am I with the Lord Jesus Christ? Before I take of this, am I right with the Lord? Am, am I, am I, have I got to the point that I've forgotten what Jesus did for me and the sacrifice he made? I know that we will eventually get to the point where we have maybe communion in small groups. We're not there yet, but I feel that it's important. I know it's important. I don't just feel it. I know it's important, and I think too often we bypass that part of that scripture. But it doesn't stop there. The breaking of bread in, the Bible says, in prayer. They were praying together. You, listen, spiritually growing happens through praying. A large group prayer is important. We'll say, get the church center app out and let us know if you need uh, us to pray for you. Click need prayer. We do that as a large group gathering. I'll stop for a moment and, and specifically pray for somebody in a large group gathering. Sometimes they anoint them with oil and we pray over them. Those are very important steps as a church when it comes to prayer. But let me tell you, it's just as important. Is everybody still focused? Everybody still with me? Follow me. All right. It's just as important as a small group to pray together. It's very intentional. It's very direct. We just finished our series as a small group on the topic of prayer. And in our book, we had a section, we had a page that we would write down specific prayer requests, people that we're intentionally praying for. So our group is about, what, 12? And out of those 12, we all mentioned 
people that we want to pray for. And we begin to pray. And, and, and we would pray on our own. We pray as a group. Now watch what happened. I hope, I, I think y'all will be okay with me mentioning this. After Kathy and Holly visited our church, we added them to the prayer list. So we specifically called their name out and prayed that God would stir their hearts. We didn't know where they were in their walk with the Lord, if they needed to be Christians, if they, if they haven't accepted Jesus Christ, excuse me. And so we started praying for that. Man, y'all, you know what happened when we showed up? And Holly and Kathy gave their life to Jesus Christ. Man, we got on fire. We got excited. Amen. And they said, you know, what's next? I just want to do whatever's next. Well, let's get, you, you need to get baptized. What's next? Join the church. What's next? Get involved. What's next? That's what I like hearing. What's next? And it all started with a small group that was praying. We were so intentional. And I'll tell you, I, I, I feel like at times that People don't see the importance of being intentional with prayer. Um, the Bible says two or three gather in his name. He'll be there. He'll be there in the presence. And I don't want to undermine the idea that when you get together as a small group and pray, that it's effective. People say it's not that effective. It's very effective. It's very intimate. It's very important praying for one another. But it doesn't stop there. I'm going to jump to the next passage. And before I do, I want to say this. Small group prayer sessions have changed the United States of America. The Great Awakening started with a small prayer meeting. Often it was between the ages of 12 and 20, young men and women gathering together and praying on college campuses and schools and high school students gathering together and praying we know according to history, George Mueller's uh, cottage prayer meetings changed America. We know Moody's student conference prayer meetings changed America. But it started with little groups, little clusters getting together and saying, hey, I need you to pray for me. I can't do this alone. I, I want you to pray for my mom and I want you to pray for my dad. And we're in this together. And then their faith increased as people started giving their lives to Christ and lives were changing. You know, you might be get discouraged because your faith is not strong. Faith always increases with answered prayer. And you say, well, my prayers haven't been answered. The question is, how often are you praying? Because there's a consistency that's a necessity. We need to, we need to press on and continue. We'll get in that in just a minute. Let, let us talk about the second part. We, <clears throat> we gather in small groups. We grow in groups spiritually, but also relationally. Watch this. This is crazy because when we read this, we're thinking, no way, I'll never do that. And culturally, I know it's different. But according to 40, verse 44, they had all things common. They were all on the same page, in other words. And then in verse 45, they, they were selling their possessions, their goods, and, and they parted them to all men, and they started dividing things out according to the needs of others. In other words, they said, you know what? <clears throat> Susie Q and Billy Bob are going through this and I don't know how to help them. I think we need to sell, we need to sell that wagon. And we're going to take that money and we're going to help them out. Do you hear about John? He's moving. I think he's going to need some help with that. And so they were changing things in their personal life and the way they did things to help others. That's what a small group did. Then they still do today. Now watch. Relationally growing comes through generosity. That portion of scripture in verse 45 is not 
in there by chance. It's in there with a purpose directed to us today as the modern church. When's the last time you intentionally looked for the needs of somebody else? When's the last time that you got out of your little box and said, hey, it's not about me, it's about others. I want to find out how I can invest in others. You said, well, I show up for my, my hour on Sunday and I say hello to folks and that's about as far as it goes. Well, you are not doing well. That is not what the church is about. You say, well, I'm not in a small group. When you get in a small group, you'll learn very quickly the importance, the importance of being generous to looking for the needs of people and fulfilling those needs, going above and beyond. Galatians chapter 6, verse 10 says, As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially, now watch this, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. In other words, we see people in need, let's help them, but especially our brothers and sisters in Christ. And these small groups that are going house to house, Start looking and investing and giving generously to one another. Life is better together. It, it's, this, this is doing life together. It's not doing life alone. It's loving. It's giving. It's being generous and kind. And, and, and this, it wasn't just through generosity, but through consistency. And they continually... Day, they continue this daily, every single day. Now, I'm not saying we're going to get together for large group worship and small group uh, fellowship every single day. That's not, that's not going to happen. Now, I know some big churches that are able throughout the whole week to have multiple life groups going. And by the way, when I say small group, it's also referred to as a life group. Sometimes it's referred to as a growth group. They're all the same, all right? There's just different emphasis. Now, this is important. We are so consistent when it comes to stupid things. Like, I love Netflix. I will consistently pay my bills so I can have Netflix or Hulu or Disney. Why? Why do we do that? Because we choose what we want to be consistent in. Thank God for the ones that are very consistent about their health. They work out every single day or every other day or once a week or whatever. Ten minutes, me, uh, for, for the whole week. You're consistent. We can be consistent in whatever we want to be consistent in. Let me tell you something. There is an opportunity in this small church for you to be a part of a small group every month. And you can consistently come, even though it may not be every week, but you can pick it at least one time and consistently make it a point to be attentive to that one time. Y'all follow me? I'm going to show you in just a minute how that works. My wife had this idea. She said when we first planted Thrive Church, she said, you know how families, when they're about to begin their, their family and have kids, they get a little tree and then it grows with their family. I'm like, yeah. She said, let's get a pot. And she said, and, and there's a long story to this uh, that I'm not going to get into. We had the pot looks like a guy's head because we studied, we studied when we were developing Thrive Church about Bob. He was in, a, in the book that we were going through and Bob, how he came a part of the church and then Bob grew and, and his last name was Bob Grow. All right. Anyway, so she says it's symbolic. This represents Bob and then you're going to take the seeds and you're going to plant it and it's going to grow and we're going to watch this grow and this is going to be really special. <clears throat> so uh, I took that pot and I put the seeds in, and then I set it outside my window. This is it outside the window. I think I have a picture of it. And just outside of the window <clears throat> uh, is the carport. So this is the top of the carport, and that little pot, <laughs> sad, right? 
I just opened my window yesterday and saw it and I took a picture of it because it made me think about the fact that I was never consistent about watering it, taking care of it, and developing it. I did nothing with it. And so this is the results of it. Through the winter, it's been out there. there somewhere in there is there's some seeds, okay? And it cracked and it never went anywhere. You know why? Because I was not consistent. I didn't take care of it. And I think what happens in the church, we do the same thing. I get mad. We all get mad. Nobody's there for me, but you're not there for them. You say, well, I want people to care for me. Wouldn't well, you care for others? Sad, I have no friends. Are you showing yourself friendly? Consistently coming in here on Sunday afternoon saying, hey, how are you doing, Johnny? Good to see you. How many know Johnny? Raise your hand. No, don't raise your hand. I don't want to embarrass you. But the point is simply this. <clears throat> You're consistent. And then we get upset when we're not consistent. Watch this. My mom, when I got MS, multiple sclerosis, got me all kinds of vitamins. Because she was like, we're going to beat this. Mom, it's an incurable disease. I don't think we can beat it with vitamins. But, you know, I did it anyway. She got me all kinds of vitamins. And, and it was great, I guess. As I got older, I thought, I need to take vitamins. So I told my wife, I said, I need to take vitamins. They do amazing things for you. I don't really understand it. So my wife got me all kinds of vitamins, right? <clears throat> Here they are on my shelf. These are my vitamins. Just a few. There's two layers of them, right? So I'm taking these vitamins. And I told my wife, I'm like, it's not doing anything for me. Nothing. I feel no different. Vitamins are supposed to help you grow hair. Nada. You're supposed to, hey, your bone structure is to get stronger. I could get taller. I'm still five foot seven. You can lose weight because your metabolism speeds up. Guess what? Nada. What is going on? Vitamins are a gimmick. They cost a lot of money, and you spend about 10 minutes swallowing them and choking on them. It feels like some horse pill. Why am I doing this? Brianna says, with great words of wisdom, are you consistently taking them? What y'all? You know, come on. What is this? No, no, I'm not. The problem is not the vitamin. The problem is the guy that's not taking the vitamin consistently. So stop sucking your thumb in the church saying, I'm so disconnected. I just feel like nobody likes me. Maybe you make everybody think you don't like them. You're consistently going in the shadows, bypassing conversations, and there's a problem. Let's just get real, right? <laughs> That small group that came together, they were, they, they were relationally growing through generosity, through consistency. I'll tell you this. It was also through unity. Man, God help the churches that are always having division. Ugh. Ugh. I would never go to a family reunion if all it is is fighting, disagreeing, anger, frustration. No. No, I'd rather mow my grass with my mouth and chew up all the grass in the yard. I'd rather chase park cars all day long. No, nothing in me wants to be a part of a church or a family, which church is family, that's full of division. Did you hear about so-and-so? No, nor do I care. I'll probably see it on Facebook, but thank you. Well, I was just going to pray with them. No, you weren't. No, you weren't. You weren't going to pray for them. You just want to talk about them. You're not going to always see eye to eye. Let me tell you what the scripture says right here. <clears throat> they, they, they were growing in, in their relationships because there was unity with one accord. Why is that important? Well, Psalms 133 and verse 1 says, Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren, that's believers in Jesus Christ, to dwell together in, here's the word, unity. 
<sighs> just feels good to say unity. You know, drama is not to be allowed or shouldn't be allowed in the church. Come on. Y'all know what I'm talking about. And sometimes the smaller the church, the more drama there is. And they're the people you can never satisfy. Never satisfy. Well, you need to get this right. I don't want to get this right. I just don't. It's just not in me. I just, I don't know why. Yeah, you do. You do know why. Because you're not right with God. And you're ate up with bitterness. And it's like a cancer. And you're, 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 you're so ate up with it, you, you're just satisfying yourself. You're not worried about making sure there's unity and peace. Y'all follow me? Yep. You just need to, listen, can we perk up just for a minute? All right, you can get some more coffee when we leave. But right now, I just need you to perk up. Listen to me. We are a very small church, and we just begun. We're one year in. We better cultivate within this church unity, unity, unity. You know what that means? Don't go to me to put out your fire. You need to learn to put out fires. Be a spiritual fireman. And you know why? Because when you do that, you're helping the brothers and sisters in Christ to grow in their relationships. That unity is a necessity. But watch this. This is so important because at the end of that verse... From house to house did eat, wow, this is a good part, and they meet with gladness and singleness of heart. Now watch, they weren't, now you can have a, a small group anywhere. I mean, we're having church in the library. Ain't that cool? That's cool. I don't care if you think it's cool or not. It's cool. All right. I don't even like libraries, but I'm going here because it's my church. I don't, I, some of y'all just looked at me. I saw y'all like, What? There's Audible. I just listen to books. I don't want to read them, literally. I grew up in Alabama. We, we struggle. All right? Y'all saw that last week when I had seven or eight words I said in the wrong way. Listen, you don't have to have a small group at a church. You can have it at an office. You can have it at a gym. For a matter of fact, Church in the Wild, that's just down the road, they started with a small group in a gym. You can have it in your home. And, and let me tell you, I think it's very important to have it house to house. Why? Because when you have somebody coming to your home, in the beginning they're a little uptight, like I just don't know, I, this is different. <laughs> you find out where the bathroom is and then you're hesitant about using the bathroom. And you're like, ah. But after about six weeks, you're like, can I get a shower? <laughs> no, you can't. We draw the line with the potty time, but that's it. You know, you're not going to take a shower in my house. My brother Denny would do that. He sure would. He takes a shower twice a day. No matter whose house he's in, he'd probably do that. Here's the point. You become comfortable because it's personal. Watch this. I believe you grow in this relationship because you see this hospitality. There's hosp you're, being, you're being so kind and so loving by opening your doors and saying, listen, come on in. I want you to be a part of what we're doing. And then you eat together. Isn't that cool? Jesus did a lot of ministry eating. I love that about Jesus. That's a doctrine that we hold to. All right? They make fun of Baptist churches because they like to eat every time they get together. But listen, it's biblical. Come on. He fed the multitude. He'd meet with the disciples. He'd feed them. They'd talk. They'd eat. There's something about eating together. It's just really cool. Singleness of heart. That's what the Bible says. Eat together. You get singleness of heart. Now watch. That hospitality. When you show love to somebody and they're sitting in your living room, they let their guard down and they become open to you. There's something different about having a cup of coffee in your hand, sitting on a couch with other believers. You start opening up. You eat together. You laugh together. We do icebreakers together. We do things together. Uh, I remember like Kathy and Holly said the first activity they went to was the ladies' life group, Flourish, and they did a craft together. They had so much fun. Listen, that is part of being 
the church. Wow. That went a lot longer than I expected today. Can I close with this? And then we're going to stand and just sing worship together before we leave. You, me, we're the church. We grow in groups because it's in the Bible, and the Bible says to. The question is, are you? Are you part of a group? Now, my next question is, are you participating in your group, or do you just show up? Are you growing through your group? Come on, you're getting involved. Is this stuff happening? Now, we have some complications because Thrive Church is in Dublin. David Liuzzo lives in Columbus. Some of you live like literally in Memphis, Tennessee, it feels like, and you drive a long distance. It's not easy at times to join a life group. It's not, and I understand that. But I'm going to tell you this. If you can just pick one time a month to get connected with a life group, it will change you. It will help you. It will, here's the word, grow you in a way that you've never, ever grown as a Christian. Amen. Some of you are givers. You love people. You're ministering to people, but you are not getting ministered to. You are like Moses. You are dying. Don't do that. That's not the way it was meant to be.